Welcome to the Mindful Literacy Podcast. This podcast is for teachers and parents who want to gain knowledge, perspective, and inspiration in the areas of literacy education and special education. Episode topics tend to focus on dyslexia, ADHD, literacy education, and mindful teaching. This podcast was created to build awareness for our nonprofit, Mindful Literacy Columbus. Check out the show notes to learn more and to get involved. Welcome to the Mindful Literacy Podcast. I'm sitting with Akia Red, who is the author of The Precipice of Mental Health, Becoming Your Own Safe Space. Hi, Akia. Hi, Jess. How are you? I'm so good. I'm really happy to be talking with you about your book. I feel very fortunate that you sent me an advanced copy. It felt very, very fancy, and I <laughs> devoured it. Um, well, you are you are special. You are you are fancy. I mean, <laughs> come on, I you know, I, why wouldn't I send you an advanced copy? You're you're you know so deserving of one. So, well, thank you. And I think um, you know, you told me about the book coming out last fall and the topic of it. I think struck a chord with me personally. But then, as I went through it professionally, I think it has. I think it has a great platform to help a lot of kids and adolescents. Um, We were just talking about the New York Times article that came out yesterday about the the mental health crisis that has Mm -hmm. been claimed a national emergency with adolescents. And so just to kind of recap the article, there's 13% of adolescents reported major depressive episode. Um, in the last year, which is a huge uptake from previous years. Um, ER visits for anxiety, mood disorders, and self-harm is up by 60%. And the ages of suicide, 10 to 24 years old, up 60% from 2007. And that's from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. And what I think struck me the most and looking at all of that was that it is even more prevalent in females. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly it's been intensified by COVID, but it pre- it's been predated by COVID. Um, yeah. And it's affecting everyone across racial, ethnic groups, urban, rural, socioeconomic differences. And I think that the timing of your book and just kind of how raw and vulnerable you were and how beautifully written it was is going to help so many people. So first and foremost, thank you for your oh gosh, your bravery in sharing your very personal deep story. Thank you for saying that. Um you know I don't think I even intended for um my journey to be put out there like that um, back in 2016. I think really why I was motivated was because I was looking for a community and my entrepreneurial brain um, just kicked into gear and said, well, if I can't find a community, like why not build one? So I just, you know, I started putting my story out there way before I even wrote the first book started putting my story out there on the blog and, you know, talking about um, my journey through therapy. And in particular, as a Black woman who grew up in a very Christian home, um, and I say Christian very lightly, because if anybody reads the book, they'll understand that, you know, I mean, that could be debatable, (laughs) you know, based on like, you know, how I explained things uh, went down in my family dynamic. But, um, you know, I struggled the majority of my life with it. I mean, I would probably feel comfortable saying I went through so much stuff in my childhood that I think my brain, like many of us, just gets rewired to deal with the trauma. And I think that that's, you know, kind of what happened to me. And, you know, you go years, 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 and it compounds because life doesn't stop happening. Life just continues to happen. And things, you know, that are good and not good happen. And so, you know, you just don't really have that time, especially if you don't have the vocabulary 
and know what to, you know, call um, what you're going through. Like, I don't, I didn't know about anxiety or depression or any of that until, you know, just very recently when I started, you know, my own journey. So I'm happy to be able to, you know, help somebody, anybody, you know, through it and let them know that it's, uh, you're not isolated and you're not alone. And I think that's the main goal. Yeah. Cause it is, it can be so isolating. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think a lot of times people are afraid to put words to it. Yeah. And if you don't get, if you don't give it a name or at least express the feeling, then it's impossible for anyone to help. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it's, um, you have to be able to, you know, have the vocabulary, you know, and I think that for me, like, because a lot of people say, well, Akia, like, how did you get from where you were to where you are now? And so, you know, just so fluidly able to, you know, talk about um, not only my past or my issues that I dealt with, but just, you know, the um, the technical, scientific kind of stuff. And I think for me, I mean, really, first and foremost, like what people don't know, fun fact is that I am a little bit of a nerd when it comes to, you know, research and um, medical, like behavioral brain type stuff. I just really, really get into that kind of thing. But for me, being diagnosed was the gateway into this particular thing because I I just always have felt like if I'm going to be diagnosed with something, I just want to exhaust like the topic to the fullest extent. So like if I'm going to have this, this, this title of generalized anxiety, major depressive disorder, atypical anorexia, body dysmorphia, because those are all four attached to me. I'm like, okay, well then I need to just like really dig in and figure out like what this is so that, you know, I'm able to explain it to my loved ones. I'm able to explain it, you know, when I'm writing about it and when I'm helping other people. So I think, you know, vocabulary and education is so important because that helps remove the shame, the stigma, because we naturally fear what we don't understand. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when you're talking in your book, it's very clear that you had a strong, uh, the people helping you through this really hard time were strong for you. And because you were able to speak with them about it, it really helped you claw your way back out of the precipice, so to speak. Yeah, I I would say so. I mean, you know, I think... um, you know, this was definitely, you know, we've talked about this a little bit before, you know, we started recording. Like, I think that this particular time that I write about in this book, because the big question that I get is like, how is this different from your other two books? And I, I simply just say that each book was like a stage of growth for me. Mm-hmm. And there was, so each book represents like a setback <laughs> and then the stage of growth that when I came out of that setback. And so this book is no different in that, I went through a, um, I went through another breakdown. Um, and that breakdown was depression was fully the lead of, um, the breakdown and it was completely in the front seat. And, you know, it was one of the darkest times of my life. I don't ever remember at that time feeling like I was going to ever get out of it. Um, I will tell you that, you know, as demonstrated on the book cover, you know, there's a little man and he's, you know, at the edge of the cliff and that represents the precipice. And I definitely fell off the precipice. Um, but what you have to look at is also on the cover at the bottom of the precipice is becoming your own safe space. And so for me, it was really important to through the images on the book or artistically to show like just because you hit bottom doesn't mean that you're just screwed forever. Like you have to sometimes, no, most times hit bottom in order to be able to come out on the other side to see the good and the light that comes from the bottom. So I did fall off the precipice, but in falling off of the precipice of mental health, 
I certainly learned how to become my own safe space. And I think, uh, gosh, the why I loved this book so much is because it was so mindful of you to be able to <laughs> articulate the process that you went through. I'll call it the death process, I think, yeah. because um, perhaps as I'm sitting here, you know, talking to you, perhaps the precipice that pushed you was the death of like, you're scratching the surface with your other two books, scratching the surface, peeling the layers of the onion back. And this death had to occur. It had to of that old brain of that old wiring. So of course you had to hit rock bottom because that is where the rebirth happened. (laughs) Not to say that it was easy, but I, for me, having like a structure to understand (laughs) the cycle Mm -hmm. of things in life is always Mm -hmm. helpful to keep things in perspective. Um, but so mindful in your own journey, but then also mindful that there is a reader reading your story and what are we going to do with your words and that you are, you ask throughout the entire book questions to the reader that I think may, may or may not help the actual person going through the, um, the, if there are someone is on the precipice, cause I don't know that at least for me, I will just disclose I connected so much to this book as a reader because our journeys were remarkably similar Mm -hmm. um, during COVID. And I don't know that I could have even picked this book. I wouldn't have been able to even read during that time. Right. But if I had a spouse or a partner or a loved one who had this book and were reading those questions to themselves and were able to like, at one point, my dad was holding me on the carpet of the floor. He didn't know what to do. Like, had he like, you know, been able to say, okay, here's this, here's a question for you. Just one reflective question. And maybe you don't even have to answer it right then and there. Or maybe he does, maybe he asks it once the the tears and crying and screaming have stopped, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think uh, you being on the floor of your closet, you know, having these, having the support system in place and having these questions like, reflecting after the fact will help so many people and where I want to take the conversation is you know parents out there currently with adolescents or preteens like 10 to 24 year olds who they may see the warning signs but not know what to do Mm -hmm. I think you should get a copy of (laughs) the recipes of mental health and at least you know look at some of the, the questions you could be asking yourself and the one the person you love so much that you see is struggling yeah I think you know that's why that's another reason why I think that I love this book so much I mean don't get me wrong you know like of course I love everything that I've that I've written and I think it's a huge part to your point of the growth and scratching the surface right but I love this one because of the very thing that you just said is that I'm not only talking to the person who is suffering, I'm talking to the person who is caring for the one who is suffering. And that is a very big distinction between this book and the other ones. And, um, you know, I wanted to just highlight, you know, you talked about, you, you mentioned how during the time of COVID, you wouldn't have been even to 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 read something like this. And you know what? I'm the author of this book and I have to agree with you. Um, I um, it's I purposefully made it, you know, an easier read, you know, not extremely long. Right. And drawn out in length and made the chapters very, you know, um, well targeted just because if a person is coming out of a mental health crisis, the attention span sometimes, I mean, they can only, you know, um, absorb so much information because they're just trying to survive. And so whenever I write anything, I'm always thinking about those people because I myself am, you know, of that same group. And I think, um, going through, I don't want to give too much of the book away, but, you know, we talk about, I talk about in the book, you know, linking up with the psychiatrist for the first time you know, um, having to withdraw from a particular medicine that I was on just so that I could go on, you know, other medicines that, you know, the doctor felt was right for me at the time. That withdrawal 
period was awful. And, you know, I'm on the floor and, you know, for weeks on end. And just as I, you know, start to see a little bit of light at the end of this precipice, um, I kind of said to myself, you know, I probably need to start getting a tape recorder or getting like a pen and paper and start journaling this because when I come out of it, because now I can see a little bit of light. Now I understand that I am going to come out of it. So now that I, when I come out of it, I want to make sure that none of these feelings that I'm feeling are dulled or dumbed down because I think sometimes when you recover or you yeah, you go to a place of recovery. Um, I think with with us, we're always recovering, right? But like when you hit that place or that, you know, good moment, you forget, I think, what it is that you felt like, like specifically, like you can't feel it the way that you felt it when you were going through it. And that was my fear. So that's why I was like, okay, let me just start jotting this stuff down and, and really capture um, what I'm feeling. Cause I want the person who was reading this book to know exactly how their loved ones are feeling, but also the person who's feeling this or going through this, I want them to feel so like insulated and protected that there is like a family of people or community of people that know exactly what they're experiencing. I think you accomplish both of those things. Absolutely. Yeah. And I had to toggle between, I toggled back and forth between being Akia's talking to me and <laughs> his experiences and, and toggling back to, okay, if I'm not, if I'm not me, how am I, how am I seeing this book? And I saw, I absolutely think you nailed it. Thank you. That, yeah. well, that means a lot. Now I can just like be happy <laughs> because that was, you know, that was the goal. That was what I had in mind. So I'm, I'm happy I accomplished it. <laughs> Totally. Um, okay, so I'm thinking about this uptick and this national emergency, as the as the Center for Disease Control called it, and mm-hmm. and what that really means um, in a family unit. And a, as a mother of two, um, and I will say how whew, I'm getting I'm getting a little water in my eyes. <laughs> okay. So as a, as a mother who went through this, um, I I had to um, pull myself off up the carpet for the same reasons you did, and that was like the buck is going to stop here. My mm-hmm. kids are not going to have to um, process through and heal my generational trauma. Nope, mm-hmm. sir. Nope. I have to do something, even though I may not like it or may not want to. Um, but the buck's gonna stop here, so um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna have to just deal with that for them. And um, I, so I want to think about this in the context of a family unit for somebody, a family, a mother, a father, a grandmother who may be seeing a young one go through this, but whether they've gone through it themselves or haven't gone through it. Mm-hmm. How do we stabilize our little our little brains and our little hearts? What do you think? I mean, what would be your advice? You you do talk about establishing self-care routines, communicating yeah. expectation and boundaries, but um, you know, where does someone start at, from a parenting perspective if they're if they're on the sidelines of a loved one going through a mental health challenge? Um, I love that you asked that question. <laughs> um you actually just answered your question and demonstrated it by just being curious. I think that so many times, like we as parents just jump into like fix it mode. And we absolutely like when we see our kids going through whatever they're going through, we want to relieve them of any uncomfortability. We want to relieve them of any suffering whatsoever. We want to fix it. And for whatever our own reasons are, you know, my reasons for wanting to fix it may be very different than yours, you know, and sometimes they're the same, but either which way, we have to be curious by asking our kids the right questions, you know? So when they make a blanket statement, like, I just feel like I hate my life. 
we, you know, a lot of times we will want to say as parents, no, you shouldn't feel that way. And let me tell you why your life is so good. And, you know, we instantly like rescue like super mom or super dad. But really what we should do is we should kind of foster this, um, the situation where they lean into the discomfort and they answer the question, tell me more about that. Why do you feel that way? And kind of really probe and ask the questions. And I think that this will help them like sort out, if you will, all of these emotions and these very complex thoughts that they're having as young people, because it's not just COVID, you know, they're going through like hormonal changes and they're going through, you know, all of this stuff with social media, you know, and there's just so much content on any given day and information that their little brains and hearts are having to decipher between and, and, and so much information that they're having to process. So it's overload. And I think that if we can allow them to just be safe in our presence and just slow down enough to answer the question, tell me more about that and lean into it, I think that that's a good place to start. Slow down. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's so important. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. had a question and it left me so give me a sec no no you're good don't worry about it I was actually just sitting here like processing what I was saying like you know I'll, I'll tell you a quick story while you're thinking this is you know and hopefully this is very helpful for some of the folks that are going to listen to this um you know, my own little testimony, I guess, or story as a parent just recently wanting to fix, you know, my uh, my daughter's situation. You know, she was feeling like, Arden was feeling really down on herself. And she has a lot of like, um, you know, proclivity to like feel like shame, you know, like it's it's like, I can't mess up. I can't make a mistake. I, and, and no matter how many times, like, I have tried to restructure the way I think and the way that I've taught her. There are just some kids that just have that bent. And I think that sometimes it's like a genetic thing, you know, and it it just, there's a lot of factors I think that go into it. But anyways, Arden was so upset and she was just panicking and having like a really bad um, moment of like anxiety because of school and work and you know with work in school and then her friends and and I got so frustrated Jess and I was just like oh my god I was like Arden (laughs) I was like snap out of it like and I just I like I literally for a second like a brief second I lost my cool and it was not a proud moment it was not something that that I would have liked my mom to do to me it was not something that on a any given day any other day I would have done But you know what? I walked away from it and I felt so crappy. And I went back to her and I said, I sat down beside her on her bed and I said, listen, I said, I just want to tell you that I'm really sorry that I like lost it. And um, that at that particular moment, I didn't show up for you in the way that I think I would have liked to. And I think even maybe that you would have needed me to show up for you. I said, but you know, I said, I'm going to cry right now and get really emotional and sappy. So I'm sorry in advance. And I, you know, started to tear up and I said, you know, I'm your mom. And I said, and so like, I want you so badly to see the Arden that I see. I want you so badly to see how beautiful and wonderful you are. And I said, and when I hear you beating up on yourself, I said, I just get so angry because I just want to fix it. Like, I just want to go in your little brain and your little heart. And I just want to change everything that's, you know, that you're thinking that's negative. And I want to go to the school and like yell at the kids that are saying things that make you feel badly about yourself. And I said, it's hard as a mom, it's hard as a parent to watch this human being that you created feel so horribly about themselves. I said, so I'm sorry. And I will try to do better the next time. So I share that story because you're not always going to show up perfectly. 
there are going to be times that you're just absolutely going to feel so angry and so upset because you can't fix it, because you can't control it. You can raise them in the best way that you think, put them in the best schools, the best situations, but life still has to happen to your kids so that they can grow into the humans that they're supposed to grow into. And we can't do a darn thing about it. So take heart, parents. <laughs> if you lose your cool, go back to the kids and make it right and just try to do better the next time. Yes, definitely. Uh, I do that a lot too. <laughs> Get it, it does take practice. It, it does. It, it does. It does. And I have to say that if I would not have done my own work, and I think this is another thing. So like, let's, let's go back into the question that you asked me and I gave, you know, the good place to start, which is being curious with your kids. I think another good place to start as, as parents um, is to actually do your own work first, to actually do your own self-evaluation. Um, you know, I think it's very difficult to be present and to be safe for anyone else, including your children, if you're not a safe space for you to land. And I think that I learned that a very hard way. Um, you know, so, um, not being able to really show up for people, whether it's my kids, husband, friends, relatives, because I wasn't able to really show up for myself. So I think that parents have a responsibility to do their own work and put their own oxygen mask on first before they try to, you know, run in and save the day for their children. Cause I will say, as that relates to the story that I just gave you guys, I, I don't think that I would have been able to circle back and apologize and acknowledge that with Arden had I would have not done my work in therapy. So that being said, you know, I mean, that's, that's really helpful too. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I, that was actually a practice that I learned in my um, yoga therapy sessions with my teacher. And it, it, mm -hmm. it was, you know, I'd come to the table all like beating myself up about how I reacted in a way to my kids that I didn't want to. And she's like, okay, so go tell them that and tell them how you wanted to react. And they'll learn so much from that simple act of you doing it, you know? And yeah. actually that whole story, Akia, comes back full circle to the question that slipped my mind, but you've actually already kind of addressed it in that, um, that genetic component to yeah. some of the the genetic mapping that is that yeah. people are predisposed to. So like if you're seeing this in your kids, then actually taking a hard look in the mirror and being like, does this show up in me? Cause they're little sponges and they've been learning how to live by looking at me. So I think that's, it's going to be hard and, and maybe it's not, maybe it's skipped a generation. I don't know. Not a psychiatrist, <laughs> but, um, but I think that whole thing is, I love what you said about, if you're a parent watching a, a kid go through this, make sure you put your oxygen mask on first, take care of yourself, be present, be present, be present, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, yeah. and sit with that. Oh my God, Ikea, sit with the discomfort. You don't have to be putting out the fire. You don't have to be, um, you know, researching on the phone, making like just sit yeah. with them and do life even though it feels like crap. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, you know, like, I mean, gosh, I'm so you just keep, you say, you're saying these things and you just like keep reminding me. I mean, like I'm full of anecdotes, you know, being a parent has been like my own case study for like the stuff that I've, you know, gone through. But like, literally, you know, you just said, you said, you don't have to be on the phone. You don't have to be emailing. You know, there are times, like I am a bonafide mama bear. That can be slightly psycho, like a little bit when it comes to my kiddos. Like I will crawl through shark infested, swim through shark infested waters, crawl through broken glass to save them if I think that I can do it. I mean, that is just who I am. And, you know, I have had to stop myself, to your point, from emailing. I mean, when I hear something right from Arden and or Michael and I'm like, they said that to you, I'm going to and I'm in my fingers just click, 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 click and start typing and texting. And I've had to like slow down and say, OK, Kia, number one, I need you to chill and breathe 
and like think through this. Number two, you always talk to your kids about impulsively reacting. You need to respond versus reaction. So I'm like, okay, let me teach them this by modeling this. But I kid you not, yesterday Arden comes home and she's so sad and she's like, I didn't get a part in the school musical and I am so sad. I worked so hard. And, you know, she's just like, you know, just going there. And you know what? I literally, I stepped back and I said, where I normally would have been like, I'm going to talk to her and ask her, you know, no, I like, listen, you know what? Arden needed to learn this lesson. So I said to her, I said, you know, babe, I said, that happens sometimes. <laughs> I said, you know, I said, at the end of the day, I said, mommy can do all that she can do and work as hard as she can. There is a chance that I could have put my heart and soul in this new book that I wrote, right? And I'm probably or may not make a bestsellers list. And I'm going to have to be like accepting of the fact that like sometimes that's just how life goes. But just because you don't make the bestsellers list doesn't mean that you haven't helped people, right? This is what I'm telling her. So I said to her, I said, so listen, I said with you, I said, you work super hard. You're super talented. You really wanted the part. I get it. But life sometimes can be sucky like that. You can do all that you can do. And at the end of it all, you still don't have the part. And you have to just, honestly, not trying to be, you know, lack compassion at all or empathy, but we have to just suck it up and wait until next year and move on. Yeah. Or find or find your a different outlet, right? Like Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so that could be applied, I think, to anything in a kid's life. But specifically, I mean, that's kind of the life of theater as well. Or, or acting, <laughs> oh, no. right? Like, that's going to no. be a lot of no's before you get that one yes. Mm-hmm. And P.S. Arden, Arden is destined for the big screen. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I'm going to remind her of this very thing. I'm going to say to her, Arden, do you remember when you were in fifth grade and you didn't get that part and you were so disappointed? Look at you. Look at now. You're, you've, you've got a major role. Exactly. And so I think too, like, let's just, and let's just say this and then I'll let you move on. But like, in everything in life, you know, teaching kids how to be resilient, you know, that's probably a third component of where to start, you know, is teaching kids resilience. Um, and, you know, letting them know that, you know, even though you get a no, the one day that you get a yes, you will appreciate that yes so much better because you got a couple no's. Yeah. Okay, so I love that you numbered these things because, you know, I like structure. So the first thing for parents is to be curious, um, ask the right questions, allow kids to express authentically and lean into the discomfort. Two, do your own work. Yep. Three, teach resiliency. Yeah. That's a good place to start for sure. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Yeah, and I think, I think too, so one thing that like I connected with your book and then this article I read was the term 13% of adolescents reported one major depressive episode. Mm -hmm. In your book, you call them a precipice, right? And I think Mm -hmm. actually I, when I, I wrote a little review, a little long review, and I left (laughs) this part out because I do, I want you to know like, how much I acknowledge, um, oh God, what's the word? Um, I don't want to say, yeah, I mean, like a sacrifice of your personal story to get gift mm-hmm. this to the world. Because um, before I read this book, I didn't really have my head around that it's important to reflect on these episodes and realize and accept that this yeah. it's not going to be a one and done episode, right? Oh. It's something 
and it's something you don't have to hide. It's something you don't have to be ashamed of. You can't just brush it off. Um, And despite all of that, uh, you know, realizing that even though this is happening in this one moment or this has happened several times or this has been happening since I was, you know, a teenager or young adult myself, like we can manage it and you can still have a joyous life living with these diagnoses or this diagnosis. Um, And I think understanding your own mind-body system and how to process through these precipices, precipices? Mm -hmm. What's the plural (laughs) precipice? Precipice? I don't know. That's a good question. Precipices? Precipices? Anyways, understanding how to regulate your own nervous system to get you through each um, potential episode. Like you were saying, okay, next time I'm going to be ready, I'm going to know what to do to, um, to stabilize my nervous system, my brain, my body, my spirit, even. I love how you folded in this general spirituality was an important piece in your healing. Yeah. Um, and that, okay, this is how my brain reacts. And this is what I do to kind of circumvent and navigate it. Yeah. I and might the, fall in the precipice. I might not, but I <laughs> certainly will climb my way back out. You know, and that is, that is so, um, that is such valuable information to, to know and to have. I was just having this conversation um, with a friend about, you know, just because I am in a good space now, doesn't mean that next week I won't have a day or two. Um, But the difference between my day or two that I may have now versus my day or two that I may have had like a year or two ago when I was not as far along in my um, recovery journey is that I have this, this, um, this general sense that like, I'm going to get through it because of my experiences with it before. Also, you learn, as you just said, your own body's responses and, and how to navigate, you know, through them and how to mitigate, you know, the, the risk of like falling completely into, you know, a, a full blown, um, depression. I think that you always have to have like a, uh, a plan, you know, a plan in place. Like I have a recovery plan, um, in place and, you know, if you're new to it, you may have to write it down somewhere. Me, I'm just kind of like not new to it. Um, and so I kind of know, like in general, if I am not taking care of myself and I am overworking myself and I am too busy without enough downtime or free time to, uh, rejuvenate myself, a bad day or two or week will probably ensue. If I don't just, you know, go to that recovery plan immediately and start to like, try to navigate through it. So, you know, it it is, it is a lot of trial and error, but I think once you, once you get those things, um, and then also being flexible and adaptable and understanding that what worked for you two years ago will probably not work for you now. It's just, it's just the, uh, the nature of the beast of recovery. Because you get to a certain place where you're just growing and evolving. Uh, yeah, totally. And that's kind of the byline, too, is um, y- you ask, who are you? Yeah. What do you need? <laughs> you right. know, and I think those are very simple, yet very powerful, important questions. Because as I kind of mentioned in the beginning about this whole cycle of death and rebirth and sustaining life again like you have to know who you were who you are today and who you want to become and you're constantly reflecting constantly growing constantly evolving because if if not then um well then I don't know that life would be very much fun <laughs> right yeah yeah i mean and if you're not growing you know um I mean, you're not really living life to its fullest. I mean, every person who, you know, 
is living should be evolving constantly and should be and and should always be um should always be growing and yeah yeah so i think of like a parent it's like a gen i don't know why it's this very strong picture in my head uh mm-hmm. but it's more like silhouetted of a mother on the ground with a teenage daughter and so i guess for them to know like okay this this is going to pass. This is part of this child evolutionary process. It's not who they were when they were a toothless six year old. It's not right. who they will be when they're twenty one. But and it's definitely not going to be who they are when they're grown up. But right now we're on the floor, and it sucks. And we'll get through it. And I'm going to fight for them and help them fight for themselves and listen and. Um, and, and and as you said so eloquently too, like it's not who they are. It's part of them, but it's not defining them. It's just a right. moment in time. Let let the moon uh, pass a couple of days and see how things change. <laughs> you know, it, it is very true. And you know what? I'll I'll give this little like tidbit of information because I know that you are very much like me when it comes to like geeking out over, you know, all of these, you know, things that, you know, are scientific, um, had a really important conversation several years back when I first started this work with, uh, Dr. Ken Yeager over over at, uh, OSU. And, um, he's like top, um, neuroscientist researcher. And I mean, he's, he's the guy, like he is the guy. And, um, one of the things that I very like just passively said to him in our conversation is I was like, you know, I was like, I've just learned that when I cry, like I just feel so much better. And, you know, I just have learned to just like let myself cry. And he said, well, Akia, he says, you know, that the scientific reason behind that is that crying um, releases toxins and those toxins being released, it actually um, resets your brain. And I was just like, oh, I was like, so I, okay. So that like, I'm feeling like what I need to be feeling, then this is good. He said, yeah. And he was like, and there's only one other thing that is, is noted, you know, that, um, a person can do to reset their brain also is sleep. And so he says, have, he gave me the example. He says, have you ever, you know, have you ever heard, you know, mothers say, or even you, you know, been so upset that you've cried yourself to sleep. And I said, Oh, I was like, I was like, yeah, absolutely. I was like, he says, you know, he says toddlers, babies do it all the time. Right. Like this whole art of like letting them soothe themselves. And then they end up passing out. Uh He said, the reason why is because that is your body's natural way of resetting itself. When it's like in this like emotional crisis place. It's like, I got to reset myself. This is not comfortable. So your body knows how to do it. And he says, so crying and taking a nap. So (laughs) (laughs) these are like, you know, sometimes you just have to cry it out and or take a nap. So parents that are listening to this, it's really not that complex sometimes. When your kids get in your car and they're just being really unbearable, let them cry. Don't try to stop it. Mm -hmm. Let them go take a nap. And I guarantee you, like when they sleep on it, it'll be maybe not 100% better, but at least 50% better. I promise that. I love it. And also for, for parents, if you are the um, support system, it's okay for you to cry about it and Mm -hmm. you can also go take a nap and get out of sleep. So, okay. Two things about that. I think that's actually, we should, we'll like end the episode there because I think that's practical free advice that anyone can do, cry and sleep. Um, But I have to tell you two things. One, I'm really happy to have that. Um, Dr. Ken's blessing on my inner voice because I was at um, gymnastics with my girls the other day and I cringed like my whole my whole heart chakra just 
foiled up inside of itself because a mom was was like yelling at her four or five year old don't cry uh, don't cry wipe the uh, tears off your face and i was like oh, oh no don't don't say that i was thinking don't say that Let i know oh <laughs> um, yeah. and so that stuck with me and i have to tell you i'm so proud of you for writing this, this book and also when you told me in the fall that you were an author i was like what? I got stars in my eyes. I know someone who's an author. And you're like, Jess, you can do it too. So I have yeah. to tell you that I wrote a manuscript. <gasps> it's a children's book, but I, it, yes. I wrote, okay, but listen to this so that you told me I could do it. I believed you. I did it. I took that little thing from gymnastics class with the mom yelling at her kid not to cry. And I have to read you. I'm, this is a little sneak peek of my book. Okay. Okay. You can scream and you can shout. Make sure to let all your tears come out. Ask for a hug. Find a slice of sun on the rug. Take a nap. Have a bath. <laughs> I love that. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> So I had to tell you right now in this moment, because that was written already before this conversation. <laughs> and I feel so validated that a neuroscientist is backing up mm-hmm. my advice to the seven-year-old who will hopefully read my book. <laughs> I Okay. Okay. So three things. One, I am so proud of you. Thank you. That you actually like believed that you could do it and you did it. I believed so, you. I believed you that I could do it. Well, either which way it works. <laughs> you did it and you now have a manuscript. So I'm so proud of you for that. Thank you. Uh, number two, I want a signed copy. <laughs> and number three, um, never doubt that inner voice because that inner voice is always right. I'm just a firm believer in that. I, I have never seen that inner voice experienced it being wrong ever in my life. So that's, yeah, I would, I listen, I felt very validated too when he said those things, because I just didn't have the neuroscientist background to back it up. (laughs) But, you know, now I go around telling that story and like, I use it as like a very simple thing when people say, well, what should I do? I was like, sometimes you just have to take a nap, you guys. Nothing profound, nothing deep, cry it out, take a nap. And then if it doesn't work, call your therapist. (laughs) So then if you don't have one, you need to get one. Yeah. Yes. And listen, let me just say as a side note, like, I don't know the types of audiences that listen to this, but you know, one of the things that I really stand on is accessibility and mental health care for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that mental health care should be a luxury. I think that it should be something that everyone has access to. So just, you know, I get this question a lot. People say like, well, what if you don't have the resources? What if your insurance is horrible? What I tell them is like, a lot of times you can look um, for therapists that have a sliding pay scale. And so they will accept whatever it is that you can pay. So if it's only a dollar, it's a dollar. If it's only $10, it's $10. So that is something that um, you can look into. I know of some practices who do offer that, as well as um, big universities that need that have students that need hours that they're in residency, right? Like they're being overseen by the head honcho over there, so you you don't have to worry about that. But you know you can get some really good health care, mental health care, for paying a nominal fee. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, yeah, the clinic at women's health clinic at OSU has been mm-hmm. a godsend for me. Yeah. 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 It's, you and, know, it's like it, there basically there are resources out there. I think that we just have to make them more, you know, known, I guess I should say. Yeah. Cause when you're peeling yourself up off of the floor you're like searching 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 who am I supposed to call and tell them about this <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 so yeah so like a lot of preventative stuff too and ha- like you said I think it is really important having a recovery plan so you have all those numbers at hand or if, mm-hmm. as a parent you have like okay if this then I will call this person or 
whatever yes. the, or whatever the plan is, I think it's important to have those resources. So thank you for bringing that up. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Is there anything, any last words you want to say and leave us with? Otherwise, I you feel know, like you and I could just chat on for hours. Oh, I know. I know. Well, you know what? I um, I just want to tell you that I really appreciate you. Um, for anybody who's listening and they don't know how wonderful Jess is, she's amazing. And she's done great things for uh, my kids. And um, yeah, you're just, you're just so amazing. So um, buy my book. Definitely. <laughs> Follow me on Instagram at Akia Red. Oh, sorry. At, at Akia Red. Okay. Um, and then I'm always on like, you know, giving these little tidbits. And then um, also we're going to all buy Jess's book when it comes out. So we're going to put the pressure on her to get it published and out there into the world. Um, yeah. So I think that's it. Those are my final words. Thank you for having Thank me. Thank you. Of course. I'm so glad. I'm so glad to have read the book and that you shared again, that you shared your story with the world and gave it and gave it not just your story, but it being that dark seed at the bottom of the cave of voice. So thank you for, thank you for that. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the mindful literacy podcast. We are so grateful to have you as part of our community. If you enjoy this podcast, please follow, download, and share this episode. You can also like, tag, and follow Mindful Literacy Columbus on Facebook, mindful.literacy.columbus, and on Instagram, at mindful.literacy.practice. We love creating these episodes and hearing from you. May you be inspired and energized and share this love with those in your care. Until next time, may you be happy, healthy, and at peace.